Sales Tuners, Episode 109, Jermaine Edwards, Key Account Growth Consultant at Irreplaceable Advisory Group. The, the beauty that we have when we get the attention of a prospect or a customer, if we get to know what they actually think and not just what they're reacting to in the world. And what they think about most is really what drives their behavior. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host. And as my son turns five years old this week, our weekly inspiration comes from the man he is named after, Nolan Ryan, who said, enjoying success requires the ability to adapt. Only by being open to change will you have a true opportunity to get the most from your talent. Joining me today is Jermaine Edwards, a key account growth and customer relationship consultant at the Irreplaceable Advisory Group. Jermaine helps sales leaders become irreplaceable to their most important customers by building value through relationship psychology. I had the opportunity to sit down for coffee with Jermaine during my time in London. With two failed businesses under his belt, Jermaine has become a true student of the game, focusing his studies on the psychology of human relationships. In this conversation, we'll go in depth about the initial intent behind relationships, why you must realize each person is an individual, and how to reattach emotions to something other than their original context. Before we dive in, I'm getting ready for another Ask JB episode. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions on the show, go to salestuners.com slash askjb. There, you'll be able to record your question in your own voice. Also, for the best question, I'll actually have you come on the show for a one-on-one coaching session. You game? Just record your question at salestuners.com slash askjb. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 109. But now let's get to the conversation where Jermaine talks about spending time supporting and equipping young fathers to show up and make a difference. Yeah, it's about, I think it's about three years ago. Three years ago now, I noticed in my community that there was uh, a number of, I guess we can call it kind of young men that were around in various different activities, activities that perhaps you could call illegal in some cases, but just weren't helpful to society. So I decided just to kind of engage with some of these guys. And I noticed that uh, many of these uh, young men were first-time fathers, right from the ages of 17 to 25. And I recognized that they were being approached by the local councils, local governments in terms of programs to put them on parenting classes. But in every single parenting class, there were actually no male role models. There were all just women teaching these young men how to be parents and how to be fathers, but there were no actual active male role models. And so I took it for myself to send a, a letter of proposal to the local government to take full responsibility for initially 21 young men that were inside this particular program that I would facilitate and support them in that particular journey of growing in parentship and, uh, and becoming fathers. And that kind of took me on a two and a half year journey with these guys moving from 21 young men to close to 50, uh, not just in my local neighborhood, but across um, four different uh, cities or, or areas in London and having a group of uh, 25 mentors that joined me on that journey. 
And it was just transformational, just seeing many of these young men move from obscurity and not knowing where they were in society to being active, responsible young men with jobs and taking responsibility for the relationships that they had. I love that, Jermaine. I have a lot of admiration for the work that you're doing there as a as a father of one who's about to uh, turn five here probably uh, when, when this uh, conversation is released. I know how important that's been for me, but for you to see that need in your community and go fill it uh, with the experience that you have, I just think that's, that's fantastic. So kudos to you uh, on that. Jermaine, in this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and abilities that have led to your success. Uh, so talk to me a little about what your business does. What is uh, the Irreplacer Advisory Group, and, and what does a typical customer buy from you? So what we kind of recognized was that in the context of relationships today, most customers now are, are, are fickle in, and in, in, in the sense that they, they don't have to remain loyal to a customer. Actually, the cost of changing from providers is actually becoming lower and lower and more industries are becoming commoditized. So rather than applying retention strategies, I remember in 2014, I was challenged by a particular consultant after a particular failed business that I had and losing a very, very large customer to ask the question, well, what would it mean to be irreplaceable to your most important customers? And at that point in time, I didn't think it would be probable or possible. It, it didn't feel, you know, realistic to say that you could become irreplaceable to a customer, knowing the marketplace and what was there. As I began to explore it, and begin to get deeper into the whole area of the psychology of relationships and exploring value creation and why people buy. Actually, I became more and more convinced that this was possible with the right types of customers, your best possible customers, focused on the right intent and the right processes that could be very possible for organizations. So the Irreplaceable Advisory Group is just that. It's advising businesses, key account lead, managers, leaders on the steps that they could take to actually produce recurring acts of success continually with their customers and truly become irreplaceable. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into to all of that, but I want to understand how you got here. You haven't always been the person you are today. Take me way back and, and help me understand how you got here. How did you even get into sales? Yeah, what the funniest thing is that my, my journey into sales really began in Germany when I was finishing my studies. I was a, a young man kind of going in and wanting to experience some new things. And so I, w I moved to Germany to finish my university studies. And while I was there, I spent all my money. Uh, that was just it. I mean, I, I, my money management was so poor, it's ridiculous. And so what ended up happening was I, I needed to get a job. And I noticed in my local uh, university, there were a range of different clubs and dance events that were taking place. And a lot of people were interested in just the arts and music and dance. And so after one particular Wednesday evening, I walked past the ballet studio and noticed the lights on. And for whatever reason, I just had this, this feeling I should go inside. And so I walked inside and immediately the owners of the particular establishment of the ballet asked me if I was a dancer. And for whatever reason, I told them yes. And uh, they said, great, would you like to teach a class for us? And so I said, yes. And so I ended up convincing these, these two young ladies that I was not only a dancer, but a pretty good one and could host particular lessons, contemporary lessons on, on contemporary dance and hip hop. And not only that, but actually attract students on a weekly basis to pay a fee to come and sign up as members to the to the ballet studio and actually take dance classes with me 
And so that really began this whole journey of understanding or better understanding how to convince people, how to understand exactly what they want, what they were looking for, and how to market that to people. That turned into a business that I was ran that paid all my bills throughout my time at university, where I had classes um, three nights a week with 30 students each paying a fee. And it really gave me a lot of confidence uh, in myself around what my ability would be. And that really became the kind of the catalyst for me learning the sales process for the first time and being introduced to sales methodology. I'm sitting here shaking my head. I love it. The, the, I, I love stories of, uh, you know, I'll call it kids, right? Kids in college who find a way to, to start some kind of business and, and grow it while they're still in college to teach them all those entrepreneurial skills they may be learning in business classes and, and whatnot, but you're applying it in real life. Uh, but then to see the, the opposite of that, that you actually get out into the quote unquote real world and realize you don't have a process and kind of start to fail. But uh, I know that now you, you've, you've witnessed lots of success. You have definitely built a process. Uh, you know, and you've talked about these three core drivers that produce fanatical fans and highly profitable customers for life. So I want to spend some time talking about that. Give me a high level, Jermaine, of those three uh, core drivers. What's interesting here, so at high level, these three core drivers are these things. It's relationship drivers, it's value drivers, and loyalty drivers. And so within the context of any particular relationship you have with the customer, it's just in the framework of business altogether. Whenever you begin a conversation with somebody, you're actually beginning a relationship. And so there are particular drivers in that conversation, in those engagements and interactions that define how well that relationship begins and how long it will actually thrive in the long term based on the intentions and commitments and and uh, really kind of tactics that you apply in order to support that relationship. Within that relationship, you also have to demonstrate competence, which is the, really the value center, which is understanding who you could possibly become to that person. So in the things that you create and the things that you add for that person in value, for the advantage and certainty that you bring within the context of the relationship that helps that person get better or achieve a particular goal, there are particular drivers that move those relationships forward based on the value that you create. And then there are actually specific loyalty drivers, things that somebody looks at you and says, hey, you know, this person is now somebody trustworthy. I have greater intimacy with this person. And now I'm willing not just to share uh, my wallet with this person, but actually share more of my life, more of my, my secrets, more of the truth that I have about me as a person, as an organization. And I get to see the warts of that particular individual. And so there are particular drivers that support how people really can become more intimate in terms of customer loyalty and decide to refer people, decide to become much more open with those suppliers and partners that they work with. So I talk about all these, these particular things within the context of those drivers, relationships, value, and loyalty. And there are different drivers or five specific drivers in each of those categories that are really important for businesses to understand. Well, let's, let's talk about opening up new relationships, right? You said that there are tactics that, you know, from, from the get-go kind of set the stage for what kind of conversation you're even going to be able to have. So when I'm looking at the relationship and I'm trying to initially connect with them and build that initial level of trust, what are some things that I can do there to start on the right foot? Yeah, so I always kind of start in this place, maybe counterintuitive to most people, but it begins with intent. So if my intent isn't properly aligned and correct, then none of the actual tactics make a difference. So me, what I mean by intent is the actual purpose 
and vision that you have for the engagement that includes the benefit of you both, you and the other person. So if my intent is simply simply to start this relationship in order for me to sell to somebody, you know, I'm I'm a true believer and most people can smell, you know, the poor intent or bad intent by somebody a mile away. And so it will definitely leak out in your conversation and your interaction. So intent your intent towards the person and truly wanting to serve is the number one thing. Getting your mindset in the in the attitude of service and getting somebody in a position where they feel safe enough to begin that relationship in the first place. So intent is the first piece. Then once you've got your intent right, you can then move to the next piece, which is simply about connection. And connection could be a range of different things, but actually connection really begins with asking you know, a subset of questions that allows the person to believe, and again, I say believe in the sense that your intent is correct, believe that you have their best interests at heart and that you're truly interested in them. And so there are some ways that you can begin that. So for example, if you're actually with a potential prospect, you could be asking questions such as, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in what your world is actually like within the actual organization to talk to me about your role and the relationships that you have and what, what it's like working in your business and what do you enjoy the most about it. And all of a sudden, you kind of open up this, this gateway of conversation where that person begins to say, well, it's like this working in the business. These are my friends. These are the, the things that happen in our business. And it's a very, very different context setting because now once you understand the world in which they operate, how they perceive that, the relationships that they have, how they relate to those relationships in the business, you can take all of that intelligence and apply it to a simple set of conversations that help you move the relationship forward in a trusted way. It's kind of giving you the roadmap to what it's going to be like or, or, or how you need to start to position uh, the words that you say and things like that. I, I want to stay with that before we move on to, to value just for a second. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember writing it down. When we met in London, uh, Jermaine, I asked you about the cultural differences between England and the United States when it came to sales. And you responded uh, emphatically that cultural differences are for not. You are first selling to a person. Uh, and you started talking about, uh, you know, obviously how culture influences systems of thinking and beliefs, but not, I, I guess, tell me more about that. An exercise for your audience and uh, for us here in thinking about selling to people, because I, I really believe it's a P2P process, a person to person. So just imagine you have a stick man on a piece of paper, draw a circle around that person, a circle around that circle and another circle. What we tend to recognize, or I guess not recognize, is that we're not just selling to a person that's in front of us. We're actually selling to three layers of a person. We're selling to their personal values, their convictions, which is the inner circle, what they fundamentally believe about themselves and about the world, their worldview, their map of the world. Then we're selling to their environment, what impacts that worldview, what impacts how they think about their role, what they think about their decisions, and why they're external. Um, role, which is what's happening in the world in general, their industry, their marketplace. And so it's really important that when we are selling to somebody, that we're actually selling to a unique individual that has a very different map of the world, that is thinking differently about how these things and these operating areas and environments impact them. And so if you can get into their map of the world, 
and understand what, how they think about it. That is the most important thing. Everything else is secondary because they'll tell you more about what that is. You don't have to be a cultural expert to be somebody who kind of really communicates with empathy. There are so many different situations that I've been into uh, kind of selling around the world where I've simply asked uh, in advance, you know, they've still done some research around the, the cultural norms, but really apologize in advance saying, you know, I've, I've done this research about kind of doing business in this particular area, but, but please forgive me if I make any mistakes here, but I'm, I'm more interested simply in just understanding, you know, what things are important to you and how you like to do business. And just giving yourself permission to bypass those cultural norms, not in, a, in an ignorant way, but just in a way that gives you permission to speak to the person and it allows you to get to the middle ground of that intimate piece of their world and how they map the world and how they think about it first is so, so important. And everything else comes secondary. That was beautiful, how you laid all that out. Uh, I, I'm going to use an analogy that, that may fall flat on you, um, not necessarily growing up as a child in the United States. But when I was a kid, there was a show called uh, Full House. Have you heard of the show or, uh, or no, ever seen very it? Very well, absolutely. Oh. There you are. All right. Very good. So it's interesting as I'm on this world trip right now, one of the things I'm con- not one of the many things that I'm thinking about is what it means to be from where you are. And I've been thinking about how lucky I am to have been born in the United States when I was, et cetera. But the opening theme song to that show starts talking about whatever happened to predictability, the milkman, the paper boy, the evening TV. And the reason why I'm bringing that up, Jermaine, is because when I was a, a kid, Growing up in America, we all had this like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the the word to use, this uh, schedule like uh, appointment TV. There we go. Appointment viewing for television. Like when something like Full House came on, like everybody was watching Full House at that time or in older generations, it might have been MASH or it might have been just there was these shows that you showed up at the same time every single week and you all watched it. And then the next day at school, You went and talked about it, right? And in today's world where everything is so rapidly changing and evolving, that stuff's going away. Uh, We're we're binge watching shows, right? On this trip, I've been watched, uh, binge watched The Shield. uh, And I would love to have watched it now in real time to be able to talk about it at the water cooler the next day, but it's going away. But I feel like we are accelerating this value system that people are maybe don't have as many shared values. And I know I said a lot, but does that make any sense? No, it, it, it does. I mean, th- that kind of normativeness of, of yeah, going to the school playground and saying, hey, did you watch the show last night? And having that shared experience, yeah, is, is being lost in the areas of Netflix where you, you really don't know what people are watching uh, anymore. And, and what people say and kind of tweet on social media isn't necessarily what they think, but actually what they're reacting to. Hmm, Interesting. And so I think we're in a world of reaction. And so the, the beauty that we have when we get the attention of a prospect or a customer, if we get to know what they actually think and not just what they're reacting to in the world. And what they think about most is really what drives their behavior. And so we have to be very careful when we see people reacting, responding to particular topics that we don't interpret or make assumptions that that's what somebody actually believes is part of their actual system of, of thinking uh, rather than part of you know, an overall context of what they, they think about a particular subject or, or, or a particular topic happening. Jermaine, I love that. I, I say, and I wrote down that just because you see their response, that doesn't mean that's what they think. It could just be what they're reacting to in their worldview. I, that, that's incredible uh, how you're able to apply that. 
I want to take that notion also with what you said around permission, right? You you sought permission. Maybe you actually did know about the values that they grew up in. Maybe you did know about the values that they hold dear, but rather than make the assumptions you talked about, you just asked for it. And you kind of even potentially played dumb a little bit to get them to share that with you. Uh, and I know when you and I talked again in London, you gave me this notion about permission where you said, in your life, you've seeked permission from university, from family, from the market as a whole, from your clients. And your advice to me was that you should not quiet the voice, but instead listen to the narrative and choose how to respond. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? Indeed. So I've, I have to kind of caveat this. that I've, I've struggled a lot with this whole idea of the inner voice, this kind of uh, narrative running my own head and being able to tame it. So for the, anybody who kind of maybe has challenged with that out there, I can completely empathize with this. And so it can sometimes be a journey. It sometimes happens immediately where you have control over this. But um, I'll, I'll caveat it in two ways. So the first is that, you know, within business itself, oftentimes we say it's emotionless, but actually it's full of emotion. We all, we all recognize some of those those known facts now through neurology that we, you know, we make decisions emotionally, but we justify it with logic. But what's really important here in our own thinking is to understand that our emotions are there to help us or inform us of things that we might be experiencing, but not to help us make decisions. And so when we're with other people and we hear their emotions, what we're actually hearing is how they're interpreting the world at that point in time through the lens of of those feelings. And we often, our feelings are, are, are really part of our attachments to a situation. And so when we hear our customers talk about things in an emotive way, we should always pay attention to what those emotions are because emotions are always attached to something specific. And so within the context of a conversation, I'm always looking for one, what's the emotion that I'm hearing, experiencing from this person that they're interpreting or, or speaking about and what are they actually attaching it to? And so if I can pay attention long enough to really work that out, if I'm able to help remove the attachment, meaning that if I can provide a helpful emotional change in emotion, so I'll give you an example, a change in emotion to that actual attachment to that particular thing, I can help them attach a different positive emotion to something else, whether that's to working together collaboratively to a particular goal or doing something specific or different. And so whenever we're speaking with somebody, what we, we have to really be careful that we're, we're not just taking the emotion and interpreting it into something that isn't. We need to understand what is that emotion being attached to. You've started to go down into the value and how we you know, tr truly start to align those goals, uh, both ours and theirs, for those mutually beneficial outcomes. I'm wondering what else you can give us from that standpoint as we move from the relation to the value creation. Rather than looking looking at this meeting and thinking, okay, what do we want to cover here? Um, ask the question, what truth are we trying to get? What truth do we actually want to get from this customer? So forget the outcomes just for a moment and think, what truth do we need to get? So what, what is it that we don't know about the customer that if we did know would help us to add significant value to them as a, as a customer? Or what is it we think we know about the customer that we should test or at least reaffirm that would help us to understand where we can add greater value to this customer in our relationship. So these are some questions that I think we often don't ask, but 
I, I say the word truth and not outcomes because truth is very, very different. It means what I'm trying to get to is somewhere deeper than somebody's you know, somebody reactionally telling me this is what's wrong with the business. I want to get to what the truth is, meaning if if this person was to be in a room and they were to one hundred percent trust me and there were there were no restrictions and they were willing to tell me everything that was on their mind, what's and all, what would that what truth what would that actually look like? What truth do I want to find out? And in pursuit of that truth, what tends to happen is that the questions that we ask come out very, very different. We're no longer asking functional questions, you know, strategic-based questions. You know, it would be questions like, so truth-based questions are questions like, so in, in, in your relationships today with, within the business, how would you describe the experience and what you would like it to be? And all of a sudden... We just begin to get something very different. Well, how would I describe the relationship or the experience and what I would like it to be? So all of a sudden, this person tells you the experience they're having. You can closer to the truth now and what they would want it to be. And so we're getting this whole place of what their experience is, the truth is, and what they actually truly desire. This is what they actually want this to look like internally. But it's, it's a way of just going at that layer deeper with a customer that gives you greater really kind of a greater positioning for deepening the relationship and and building loyalty as well you talked about this notion of truth and to me that truth goes back to what we already talked about and that's what they think not just what they're reacting to and i just think that's fascinating but let's let's kind of take this home to the loyalty part and i want to go twofold here the first question i want to ask and i know you're not supposed to ask two questions at once but i'm gonna do it uh as a sales rep what do we need to be doing to ensure the long-term successes as we transition accounts to client success and then the second one is, how do we actually build that loyalty or those fanatical fans, as, as you call them? First thing on, on, the, on the doing, what can they be doing to set themselves up for loyalty? I think part of this is, really it's part of it is knowing your values. So, and the reason why I say that is that this is quite interesting. So there's something called the commitment trust theory of relationships. And it's, it says that the two fundamental factors have to be in place for a law and existing relationship to be successful. And that's trust and commitment. And so you can have somebody who trusts you but isn't committed to the process. And you can have somebody who might be committed to a, to something but isn't trusting the other person. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So you can have somebody, because I believe there are different levels of trust. You know, trust is always on a continuum and you're at different stages at different times in the relationships with the people that you have around. And so you can have somebody who trusts you enough to make a purchase, but may not be committed to doing that long-term. And uh, you might have somebody who's committed to having you work with them for a period of time, but for whatever reason, doesn't have, you don't have enough trust equity with that person for them to tell you, uh, for them to give you greater access to their business in terms of opportunities to speak with other departments or with you know, more senior management in the business. They hold that tight to themselves. And everybody's experienced that of that particular contact, that contact that won't refer you to anybody else and only wants to be the one person dealing with you. And so you have these two dichotomies. And so the first thing you need to know is basically the values. The most important commitment you can have with your customers is who you are together. And this rests in the ideas of shared values and future expectations. So if you can find that out, and there's actually some really interesting research around that by Gartner around 
uh, values and how that feeds into shared experience on loyalty. But the first thing to, is to understand, so what do you value and what do your customers actually value? What is at their, their business heart? If you were to ask them what they actually value as a trait for doing business, whether that's corporate social responsibility, um, whether it's, it's the practice of, of, of honesty within the relationship, what is it they actually value? That, those are core traits that you may even have in some of the satisfaction surveys that you've completed already, but knowing what that is is important. And then when you get into some of the activities, how can you actually build that in a pragmatic way on a day-to-day basis? There are five big observations, five big things that you should think of. I'll just give you a couple of them right now. So the first is um, look to automate the predictable things and then humanize the exceptional parts. I love that. So if there are things in the process that are fairly monotonous and, you know, if you changed it, it wouldn't really do anything to the relationship, such as, you know, an, uh, you know a, a fireable update to a customer. You know, that's fairly predictable. They know it's coming and you may give them it. But actually look for parts in the relationship where there's a human connection that needs to take place and find ways simply just to make it 1% better where you just make that, that, that particular experience just a little more exceptional. And that could be a range of different, that could be a whole range of different things that you could possibly apply to that. It could be, you know, in, instead of sending them, you know, a marketing a message via email, you might send them a marketing video or you might actually send them a personalized box in the mail that gives them a specific marketing update that tells them about their industry and about who about where you're going next with the business and, and what you would like to do with them. There could be a range of different things to do that, but just finding ways to make it 1% better, you know, humanize the exceptional parts of the business. Yes, that's one particular area. Well, Jermaine, I, look, I wish uh, I could talk to you for the next five hours because like I said, I'm sitting here taking notes like crazy on how to improve my business. I know that you're helping me, so I can only imagine uh, the listeners out there of what you're able to do for them. Unfortunately, I got to be cognizant of your time, so I'm going to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away, and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Jermaine, are you ready for the money round? Man, I'm ready for the money round. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Well, at its core, it's been the pursuit of chasing that person that I want to become and knowing that you know, where I am now is not where I could possibly be. So that's what's really been the, the core marker and benchmark for me succeeding and, and pursuing success. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Uh, learning how to learn. Two-part question for you here, Jermaine. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Uh, I love to win. So part of this is that this pursuit of progress. So if I'm, if I'm not making progress, then it's likely that I'm, I'm procrastinating on something. So for winning for me is about, am I making progress daily? 
What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Oh, that's, that's it. Stuart Diamond is getting more. So it's actually a book on negotiation, but there are so many different really just gems inside it just around the, the, the simple psychologies of language that I find just absolutely fascinating. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Jermaine's suggestion of Getting More by Stuart Diamond for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for Getting More. And I think that's something I'm going to uh, download right after this conversation today. Jermaine, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? For me, it's, it's climbing a mountain that is really scary. Something so I'm looking for something really scary that I would typically not recommend myself to do, which is very little. And I think climbing a mountain like to the top, like Everest, would be a probably bucket list thing. All right, I got to throw this out there right now. How about you and me climb Kilimanjaro in December together? Oh my word! I'm going to okay. be there. I'm going to do it. So you're going to be in Kilimanjaro this December. This December. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, we'll, possibility. we'll, we'll connect offline. Yes, indeed. <laughs> What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Be patient with yourself. Give yourself a break, but continue to patiently persist. And you will get better. And you'll surprise yourself tomorrow if you continue with that particular mindset and attitude. What I really enjoyed about Jermaine is the level of intellect he brings to sales. It isn't just theory. With a master's degree in psychology, he brings real science to the conversation. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, relationships begin with intent. You don't need me to tell you this, but buyers can sniff a hard sell coming from a mile away. The long-term relationship you'll build begins with the first conversation you have. Find a way to align your goals with their needs. And no, that does not mean you have to sell them something. Stephen Covey said it best when he said, seek first to understand. I know you have a quota, but if your first intention is to better understand your buyer's world, you may actually discover a way to help them that doesn't include your service. Now, what do you think will happen when they do need your offering? Number two, realize you're selling to an individual. My guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you've either been given ideal customer profiles or you've built your own persona of what a typical customer should be. While commonalities do exist, you have to understand that each person you come in contact with has their own map of the world. The lens they see the world through guides how they receive the information you share. Understanding how they think should be your most important objective. Number three, emotions are always attached. Within the context of your conversation, it's important to look for the specific emotions your buyer is exuding, how they're interpreting or speaking about something and what they're attaching that emotion to will tee you up for being able to move them. You'll first want to attempt to remove the attachment with something helpful or reassign the emotion to something else, allowing you to work collaboratively toward a particular goal. Remember, as humans, emotions guide our decision, while logic allows us to rationalize after the fact. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at salestuners or shoot me an email, jim at salestuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.